Hello and welcome to the first episode of Zion ID. Uh, I'm your host, Jason Schwartz. I think with this being the first podcast, it makes sense to start with some introductions. You know, it's my wife, Kelly, who's actually the one who's encouraged me to do this. Uh, She listens to a few different podcasts on things like productivity, organization, nutrition. I mean, there's some really good teachers out there who share valuable information. Anyways, I really enjoy hearing the recaps from Kelly, and it, uh, it stimulated a lot of quality discussion, and a lot of that information has actually changed our way of thinking, you know, as a couple, as a family. It's been able to change some behaviors, and so we thought, why not throw some of our own experiences out there into this podcast universe uh, in hopes that, you know, maybe we can encourage or comfort or you know, uplift others. Um, By way of personal background, uh, we live in Highland, Utah. We're raising five kids who keep us running for our lives. Anyone with kids can definitely relate. Um, Parents wear so many hats these days. One moment we're the chef, next moment we're the taxi driver, cleanup crew, event planners, doctor, tutor, coach. You know, it's certainly... uh, true that being a parent stretches each one of us. Um, but you know, above all, um, through all of our imperfect imperfections, you know, we love and really enjoy our children and are trying to foster great relationships. Uh, we're trying to support them as much as we can in activities that develop self-esteem and teach hard work. You know, raising kids in this digital age isn't necessarily easy, um, but that's the lot we've been given in this mortal timeline, right? So it's our responsibility to teach these young ones how to handle um, these tremendously powerful tools that they have at their fingertips. Um, And for the most part, I'm proud of the way my kids are controlling themselves with all the screen time and the idle distraction with video games and whatnot. Um, Like many of you, we can definitely do better, but I hope that we're headed in the right direction. Um, uh, That leads me into, you know, a little introduction of my professional life. Professionally, I work as an economist. My forte is forecasting uh, technology. Um, I've dabbled a lot in central bank policy and energy, you know, alternative energies and oil. I've written a few books. I've appeared as a guest on CNBC, Fox Business News, Business News Network. Those have been some fun interviews. Um, I was chairman of the Apple Investor Summit. And one cool experience um, that I'd like to share is uh, one time I got invited to attend Steve Jobs's. A keynote address for Apple. It's when he, I didn't quite make it into the iPhone introduction, but I was able to get into the iPad introduction. And uh, so, you know, I arrived early. I got, I sat dead center in the theater, fourth or fifth row, and just tried to soak it all in. Um, I was, I was actually supposed to be writing a live blog for thestreet.com. But the internet connection was so overloaded that I couldn't get the updates sent out. So, which actually turned turned out to be, you know, a blessing in disguise because I was able to sit there and just, you know, live in the moment and uh, and watch, 
the tech visionary of our time do his thing, which was a really special moment for me. Um, the genius of Steve Jobs was his grasp of timing. Um, you know, his ability to produce simplistic, beautiful design. And he was able to seamlessly integrate what had previously been really complex stuff, really complex tech um, that hadn't been easy for the masses to use. He was able to package it and sell it in a way uh, that just opened the door to critical mass adoption. And so, you know, you look at the different things that Steve came out with, um, you know, he came out with the iPod. It was simple, music in your pocket. It was so good and so timely that it crushed all of the pre-existing music industry. I mean, CD stores were quickly replaced by iTunes. Um, you could buy songs for 99 cents. You know, you tossed your Walkman in the trash. Um, most of us have even gotten rid of all of our hard copy CDs um, because, you know, he just made it easy. Then he came out with the iPhone, which again was the right innovation at the right time. Not only could it play music, but you could make phone calls on it. You could take pictures. You could surf the internet. It was incredible. I remember waiting in line at our local AT&T store and opening up the packaging of that first iPhone, and it was what a magical product. Um, I don't even think Steve Jobs could have comprehended uh, the path that iPhone has been on over the last you know, 10 plus years, uh, especially with the, the boom in apps and all the time that people are spending on these phones. It's, it truly has been a dominating product. And then there was the iPad, you know, that, that unveiling, that keynote address that I was able to be at. He, uh, he just gave us a larger window, a larger screen to be able to touch and experience the, the internet in new ways. So I mentioned Steve Jobs for a reason. Um, you know, after his presentation, um, he came out and he mingled with the crowd. And we actually had a moment where our eyes met for a few seconds. And I don't know what was going through his mind. He was probably thinking, who is this kid? <laughs> and how'd he get into this show? Um, but I do remember vividly what went through my mind. A quiet voice filled my head and told me that one day we would do for Zion what Steve Jobs is doing for tech. Um, each one of us is going is invited to participate with the Lord in creating the greatest innovation that's ever been created. As incredible as technology may be, you know, we all know that its overuse can produce some really cold and even damaging side effects, right? Um, people get addicted to it. It probably leads to too much isolation. And in contrast, Zion, which is, you know, I like to think of it as the ultimate community, right? It's an establishment of Christ-centered, communal living, people interacting with people, you know, the best of education, the best of medical, the best of, the best of, you know, nutrition, all these things. We come together and live in an enhanced neighborhood 
living after these patterns that Jesus exemplified, now that to me is the greatest pursuit of innovation. And something like that is deserving of our time and our talents and all of our passion, you know, to really create a better world. Um, with all the different things we focused on, I think it's interesting. It's kind of, it's a little bit sad that maybe we don't focus enough on improving our own neighborhood and improving the relationships with the, you know, the people next door, down the street. So it's, it's pretty obvious, you know, you read the scriptures, you study the gospel, and the Lord does not intend us to be hermits. You know, he preaches a gospel of love and service and charity. Well, the only way we can develop those things is with others. And obviously that process is never perfect. You know, sometimes people bug us, bother us. And, but it's, um, it is the plan. And I think we would all agree that we are happiest and we experience the most joy um, when we're able to help and bless the lives of others. So, you know, this podcast, uh, we're going to talk a lot about Zion, and I hope to kind of follow the Steve Jobs model a little bit where we can explain some really complex stuff, but in simple terminology, and that this information can be timely, it can be expedient, and really relevant uh, for our time. Um, So in this first episode, let's educate ourselves. You know, learn from some voices in the past, begin to get a deeper understanding of Zion's true identity and why its establishment is so important. Um, So as we begin there, uh, I guess the, the scriptural definition of Zion is that it's a people of one heart and one mind, who dwell in righteousness, and there are no poor among them. That's what it says in Moses 7.18. Zion has been established uh, before. And the first one actually happened in the time of Adam. You know, one of his grandkids was Enoch. And um, we learn that Enoch lived in a day of wickedness and evil. There was darkness, there was rebellion, there was war, there was desolation. Um, these were the times leading up to the times of Noah when the earth had to be cleansed uh, by water. But Enoch was faithful. Um, he, he made converts. He assembled a congregation of true believers. And all of these people were able to become so faithful that the scriptures teach that the Lord came and dwelt with them. They dwelt in righteousness They were blessed from on high. Uh, Moses chapter 7 teaches that Enoch built up a city, and it was called the city of holiness, even Zion. I mean, how cool is that? How amazing would it be to be part of a city like that, that's so righteous that the Lord comes and dwells among us? Um, So Enoch did it, right? Um, And he wasn't the only one. After Christ uh, lived on the earth, um, after the church was established by his apostles after the ascension, um, the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says that those people were of one heart and one soul and had all things common, just like the people of Enoch did. Uh, In the book of Mormon, we learn about another people in 4th Nephi 
who after the Savior's visit to the Nephites, it says this people had all things common among them, every man dealing justly one with another. Um, you know, there was no contention because the love of God did dwell in the hearts of the people. So it's pretty um, motivating to know that this has been done before. And it gives a lot of hope um, to know that it is going to happen again. And the closer that we can get to this Zion ideal in our individual lives and in our family life and in our community life, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that we will be happy and that this is the sustainable path that all of us strive to be on. Joseph Smith commented on the latter-day pursuit of Zion. Here's what he said. He said, The building up of Zion is a cause that has interested the people of God in every age. It's a theme upon which prophets, priests, and kings have dwelt with peculiar yeah, sorry, peculiar delight. They have looked forward with joyful anticipation to the day in which we live. And fired with heavenly and joyful anticipations, they have sung and written and prophesied of this our day. But they died without the sight. We are the favored people that God has made choice to bring about the latter-day glory. It is left for us to see, to participate in, and help to roll forward this latter-day glory. Um, in terms, you can think of Zion even in terms of a political movement. You know, um, I know in the United States here, we've got Republicans, Democrats, Independents that dominate a lot of the uh, political discussions. But there's a lot of places where each of the political parties has come up short. Um, it's so this this idea of, of it being a political thing, I think it's slowly being rolled out until it will even dominate the political arena as people gravitate towards the goodness, the efficiencies, the successes of Zion. Um, concerning this restoration, you know, bringing something back from the past that worked so well in the times of Enoch and the times of Peter and after Christ visited the Nephites, uh, here's what Dieter F. Uchtdorf says. He says, Sometimes we think of the restoration of the gospel as something that is complete, already behind us. But in reality, the restoration is an ongoing process. We are living in it right now. It includes all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and the many great and important things that he will yet reveal. The exciting developments of today are part of that long foretold period of preparation that will culminate in the glorious second coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. When our time in mortality is complete, what experiences will we be able to share about our own contribution to this significant period in our lives? and to the furthering of the Lord's work? Will we be able to say that we rolled up our sleeves and labored with all of our heart, might, mind, and strength? Or will we have to admit that our role was mostly that of an observer? You know, um, a political religious platform of Zion, sorry, that's closed quote. Uh, this is me now. But this, this platform of Zion, I think, gives all of us something really worthy. It's a worthy cause to fight for. 
Um, back in 1863, John Taylor prophesied about Zion as the new Jerusalem, and here's how he described it. Um, he said, the mo- it's the most splendid city that was ever erected. The architectural designs of those splendid edifices, cities, walls, gardens, bowers, streets, etc., will be under the direction of the Lord, who will control and manage all these matters. And the people, from the president down, will all be under the guidance and direction of the Lord in all the pursuits of human life. He declared, We believe that this people will excel in literature, in science, and the arts and in manufactures. In fact, there will be a concentration of wisdom, not only in the combined wisdom of the world as it now exists, but men will be inspired in regard to all these matters in a manner and to an extent that they never have been before. And we shall have eventually, when the Lord's purposes are carried out, the most magnificent buildings, the most pleasant and beautiful gardens, the richest and most costly clothing, And be, maybe he foresaw the, uh, the City Creek Mall in that one. I don't know. Back in the 1800s, that's pretty good foresight. And he continues, And be the most healthy and the most intellectual people that will reside upon the earth. Um, Elder Orson Pratt described it like this. The true light, which is of God, will be rendered visible in the eyes of all the inhabitants of that city. And shall I limit it there? No. The light will shine so conspicuously from that city, extending to the very heavens, that it will in reality be like unto a city set upon a hill that cannot be hid. Franklin Richards placed our contemporary pursuit of Zion in its proper context when he said, We are trying to understand the gospel as Enoch understood it, and as Christ understood it and to do business as they did it, living in cooperation and managing our affairs in the same way. But many of us are not willing to be taught in temporal matters. So, you know, you learn the gospel on Sunday, you go to Sunday school, you learn it with your family, you read the scriptures, you pray. But I think, um, and and the institution of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been such a wonderful institution. It's the house of covenants. It's where the authority of the priesthood lies. But maybe Zion will happen when we can change the way we live Monday through Saturday, when we can elevate our modes of commerce and communication, and we can, you know, uh, when we go to work, um, we work for something a little bit on a higher plane. That is when the establishment of Zion might really happen. Um, Neil A. Maxwell tells us why it's so important to think about these things. He says there are several relevant reasons for attempting to ponder um, probingly the city of Enoch. First, in our time of increasing perplexity among nations and individual despair, It's important to realize that thousands of people ages ago successfully applied the commandments of God and thereby had great and unparalleled happiness. Second, since God sets both incentives and warnings before mankind, it is just as important to have before us the positive consequences of righteousness as well as the negative consequences of sin. 
And third, Elder Maxwell explains, God preserved and prepared Enoch's people in the midst of awful and enveloping evil. And reassuringly, he has promised his people in our time that though great tribulation shall be among the children of men, my people will I preserve. The Lord himself spoke prophetically about the restoration of Zion. And here's what he taught as recorded in Doctrine and Covenants section 103. Um, Here's some excerpts from verses 11 through 18. The Lord says, But verily I say unto you, I have decreed that your brethren which have been scattered shall return to the lands of their inheritances and shall build up the waste places of Zion. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham, and ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. And as your fathers were led at the first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Therefore, verily saith the Lord, let Zion rejoice, for this is Zion, the pure in heart. So as we mentioned, um, I'd like to just close with the idea that Zion is both an individual as well as a collective pursuit. To those who maybe doubt, you know, the need for a Zion, a city of Zion or something like that, Maybe consider your own experience uh, in visiting different cities throughout the world. You know, think about how the culture of Paris differs from the culture in New York or the culture in Dallas, Texas or in Beijing. You know, and I think you, as you ponder that, you start to realize that when citizens combine with government, they establish these incredible cultures. And the holiness of Zion's culture will truly be something to behold.